They call me Dr. Jones, known as the Night Tripper. Got my satchel of green grease in my hand. Then we tripping up and back down the bayou. I'm the last of the best. They call me the Greedy Man. Okay, welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. A little something different there in the intro. Uh, we lost a legend the other day, Dr. John. You know, I can't say I'm a total aficionado of his music, but I, I certainly enjoyed it very much. You know, he's a legend, an icon. He, he, you know, and his music is the very indicative of, of the gumbo that is New Orleans culture. I think like a lot of people... The first time I encountered him was, uh, you know, I was in the right place. I think that even made it into Dazed and Confused, right? Uh, and then, you know, I picked up a Greatest Hits CD and had a couple other cool ones on there. I think Ico was on there and Such a Night and that sort of thing. And so I started poking around and looking for some more stuff. And, you know, uh, an ex of mine it, it got me into the um, the Gree Gree album, which is where the song you just heard comes from. And, you know, I also was reading somewhere that uh, he was, you know, critical of Bush post-Katrina. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that he loved that city. And, and um, I was glad to see that uh, he had offered that critique. So, uh, thank you, Dr. John, for the decades of art that you gave us. So, in this episode, we're going to do part two of Iovino's interview. We left off part one. We were just about to talk about uh, his days in the band, uh, and that's where we'll pick up with this one. You'll hear the uh, legend of Cake Boy and a little bit about how he got into Buddhism and his practice. Stay tuned after the interview for another one of my award-winning outros and a little bit more Dr. John. Here's Iovino, part two. It's an it's an age old problem of mobilizing people. Who, right. So a couple things. At some point, we need to talk about Cake Boy. Oh yeah, sure. And I also want to know how you got into Buddhism. So which one do you want to do first? Um, let's do the band. So I had a friend who had started a band, and the name of the band was Murder One. I went to go see a couple of their shows, and at some point, their singer had like a nervous breakdown, stole his mother's car, and ran off to Texas. So my friend comes up to me, he's like, hey, I want you to be the new singer in the band. I'm like, I've never done anything. He goes, listen, he goes, I, we're, we're, we're shying away from that kind of music, which I guess they were doing like, you know, like a classic rock sound kind of, kind of, you know, originals, no cover band. I despise cover bands. And, uh, you know, no, I need you for your antics. Like, you know, you're not shy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, so you want me to be me? And he's like, absolutely. Um, so I go to audition for the band and um, I pick like a... Uh, a Black Flag tune. Um, I forget which one it is. Nothing Left Inside, I think it was. I forget what song it was. And and uh, and I was horrible. I couldn't sing. But he told them, you know, like he sang in a hardcore band and that's why his voice is like that. You know, he, <laughs> he was scamming the band. And so 
So and I'm Michael Iovino and I'm, I'm auditioning for this band. And while I'm auditioning for the band, there's this guitar player and he brings this bong to every show. I mean, every <laughs> every rehearsal. And he's lighting up this gigantic bong. And, I, you know, I, I've been drug free my entire life. And I'm like, you know, you know, you got to you got to ask. I can't. I had just started my student teaching. And I'm like, you know, I can't be around all this weed. I said, I, you know, I, I don't know if they do random drug tests or whatever. It's like, you know, you got to, can you do that afterwards? And he's like, you know, plus I'm trying to, we're trying to rehearse here and we're taking these bong breaks. And uh, so <laughs> every time we would go to rehearsal, we would stop in an IHOP and I would get a coffee, a tea with honey and lemon. And I would get a, a coffee from my, my buddy who was the bass player and we would go to rehearsal. So um, one day I happened to, again, you know, I, I'm, I'm a... At heart, I'm a con man. And uh, I wind up swindling IHOP out of a chocolate cake. And I bring the chocolate cake to rehearsal. It was pretty easy. You know, it was like just, I said, oh, you know, I, I found this chocolate cake on the ground over there. You know, maybe somebody was trying to steal it. I said, you know, I just figured, oh, no, okay, could you throw it off? And I'm like, yeah. So I walked out with a chocolate cake. <laughs> so when I get to rehearsal, um, I'm finally trying to convince this guy to, to not do any bonk hits. So I tell him, the, you know, every time you light up, I'm taking off an article of clothing because he was also homophobic. And at this point in my life, I'm like, I don't, you know, I have no shame. Uh, so he's about how old were you? This is early in your teaching career, right? Yeah. So third in my thirties, okay. yeah, early thirties. And uh, so as he's smoking, I'm taking clothes off and my, my nudity is starting to get him nervous. So he's smoking more. So, <laughs> so I, by the, by the time we got halfway through rehearsal, I'm completely naked. I, I decided I was going to eat the chocolate cake, but there were no forks and knives. So I'm just like, I just dive into the chocolate cake. And he says, you know, what are you some kind of cake boy? And it stuck. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to use that as my alias because I don't want anybody to know when I'm out there performing. I don't want anybody to know my real name because I don't want people to, oh, he's a teacher and this guy's doing, because he would do bong hits on stage. So I had a nickname and it was, you know, in the very first, you know, musical piece that we produced, it said Michael Cakeboy Iovino. And then I realized like when I would meet people in the industry and they'd say, what's your name? And Michael, I was like, you know, you're not going to remember that. But, you know, so I just adopted Cakeboy completely 150%. (laughs) And people remembered it. Like I have people today when I see them, you know, they call me Cake. I have a couple friends who are teachers in Newark. When they see me, they call me Cake. You know, they just know me as Cakeboy. I spent, you know, 10 years of my life performing. So in the beginning, the music was really bad. So I was completely off the wall now completely drug free not drinking and i'm on stage and i've got like outfit changes i was like the elton john of the punk rock world i've got (laughs) outfit changes i'm climbing things because climbing is really fun for me we would do a cover of iggy pops i want to be your dog and there was like a lot of me walking around like a dog and like you know just doing crazy things and then eventually at you know at some point during the set uh, i'd be completely naked on stage and things were you know crazy and got so Almost every club that we played those first years, I got thrown out of. <laughs> then we wound up getting a new guitar player. Uh, G-Money comes in, and uh, he was a phenomenal young guitar player. So we played up his age. He replaced the dude with the bong? Yes, yes, okay. yeah. And we played up his age. Like, we, you know, we he was in, you know, 18 years old. But we dropped him down to, like, 15, 16 years old. Made him play with a backpack. Like, uh, you know, the dude from ACDC. And now, <laughs> now the music starts to get a lot better. So my antics... Start. I start. I get to die down a little bit with the antics, and by now, now I'm now I'm starting to sing, and you know things are getting really good. Um, we're doing like all the shows that we got kicked out of, all those places. We're we're able to go back and do some shows or whatever. Um, 
the nudity dies down unless it's I'm like you know I'm, I'm nervous on stage which doesn't happen very often but if we decide we're playing like some big festival and there's a thousand people maybe I got nervous um but then the second record we you know we put out a we wound up getting a record deal on the first record and then we go to put out the second record and now my bass player who had some connections because of his he was working for Atlantic Records he winds up hooking up with so we're playing shows like with Sugar Ray and they're opening up for us we're playing shows with uh Stone Temple Pilots we played a lot of shows with a lot of great bands and then we became friendly with a lot of these like I I was always the guy who you know as the front man for the band I never really considered myself I was like I would always go out to like all these industry events and meet people and I never needed a pass because I could always scam my way into anything like you know i'm going to the aerosmith concert do you want to come i don't have a ticket for you i'm like yeah yeah and i would always get in whatever the concert was i would always get in i would go through the back door talk to people so i got very friendly with a lot of the industry people a lot of these bands i became very good friends with wanted becoming friends with kid rock who who there's an ironic story kid rock here's a kid who grew up like in the like he's he's eminem like his story is very much like eminem he grew up in like you know the the the, the poor area of detroit you know he you know grew up dating you know black girls and all of a sudden now he's like this big ultra conservative redneck guy which is yeah. hysterical but he wasn't like that in the beginning he really wasn't like he was like a homeboy like through and through and you know just from the you know the streets of detroit kind of a thing um so we became very friendly with him we actually went out to visit him in Detroit and we played a show in a club that wouldn't let him in cuz it turned out that this club was like was like a, a like a like a skinhead club we didn't know it um, and he's like they won't let me in there cuz you know you know I'm I'm a rapper and they won't let us in but we 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 played that show and then afterwards we went hung out at at uh, Jason Krause's guitar player's house and to this day we are pretty convinced that the jamming that we did became Kid Rock's next album hmm. which was the album that blew up we we have some evidence to that. So our our second album was called American Junkie, and I think his was American Badass. On our album, we had like the, uh, we had these voicemail messages of my brother, um, and he had like voicemail messages on his album. Our one song was American Junkie, and you know, so there was like all these little parallels, and we're like ah whatever. So he he winds up singing on our on our record. He does. We did a fantastic cover, No Woman No Cry. But the funny part about that is when that his first album, when that big album of his dropped. It bombed. So we go out on the road. We're going to do six show tour with, with Kid Rock. And we're op he's opening for us, like for the first like three or four shows that we do. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Ba with the Ba, whatever that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that like becomes, it's starting to gain traction. It's like, you know, I think, the, you know, the, the, the fight in it. So by the time we got back to the New York area, the song was, you know, the album was through the roof. The song was through the roof. Next thing I know, he's like we got to do a show we got to kick this you know this tour off so it's like murder one kid rock and stained at the bowery ballroom it's like the biggest show in of the year at, at the bowery and the place is sold out 600 people and we do this fantastic show and it we killed it and it was great so it's just ironic that the first three or four shows where i'm out we're out on the road with kid rock and he's opening up for us and we're playing in front of like 30 40 50 maybe 60 people and by the time we get back to new york this his album blows up and of course you know you've got you know six seven hundred people so we played a lot a lot of great we played with Don't Temple Pilot. We played with, um, like I said, we did tons of shows with Sugar Ray early on. And then at some point, you know, our guitar player leaves and we start, you know, then you, it's just weird. It almost becomes like a VH1 where, you know, <laughs> behind the scenes. And I always said the minute it, we, we never made a fortune. We never made money doing it. I said the minute it starts to feel like work, I'm out. 
Right. And that's that was it. I just literally just one day said I'm done, you know, because they wanted to, you know, play shows that that I thought were kind of silly shows. It was just like, you know, we we had just done a tour, you know, with Kid Rock, and now we're gonna go play at a bar with cover bands. And I my thing was always like I refuse to play shows with cover bands because I think cover bands are ripping off other people's music. You know, you go. I would rather go see a crappy original band than you know these you know the nerds who are playing you know covers and people are really excited oh, go see your original band learn some new music or whatever so yeah that became a big thing for me and uh then like i said gaggy you get to that point where the music just it's just not as fun anymore it's, mm-hmm. and oh my god can i tell you one of my favorite stories absolutely man. okay yeah so that's what we're here for yeah exactly right so um clutch was one of the one of my favorite bands and mm-hmm. uh, you know you're going to be playing one of those songs i think we developed a relationship with them. You know, we hung out with them a lot, uh, and uh, we wound up getting to play a show with them down at the Five Thirty Club in Washington D.C., which is their home. This was like their home base, and uh, we were playing with Tree, uh, which is another great uh, Boston hardcore band, and and we had actually just committed to doing a tour with Anal Cunt. Um, Seth, the singer, died last year, and he was he was off the rot, off the wall. He was just just beyond. Um, but I, you know, was talking to the singer from Trina, like, dude, I can't believe you guys are going out on the road with Anal Cunt. And I'm like, why? He goes, three reasons, Seth, Seth, and Seth. And let me tell you something. I'll tell you that story if we have time. It, they were just crazy. So anyway, we're down at the 530. Wait, club. you mean people in a band called Anal Cunt? Yeah. Were, we're crazy? crazy. <laughs> That's so fucking surprising. <laughs> the guitar player had like a PhD, but they were, they were, they were off their minds on crack and cocaine. Oh, And, and okay. it was just, Yeah. Um, but they did teach us a few things. They definitely did. I learned a, a couple interesting tidbits. Um, Five Thirty Club, Clutch Tree. It was it was a great show. Um, we get up there and we're opening. Place is packed. And again, so my thing is 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 if the crowd doesn't know my music, it's how do I get them in, into into it? Like how do I turn them on to what it is that we're doing? So sometimes it's antics. Sometimes it's antagonistic. Um, so in this particular venue, I smuggled in some smoke bombs and, uh, yeah, so I lit them up and threw them into the crowd and you know, it wasn't a small venue, so it wasn't, there was no copier to kick. So you had to do something. Exactly. Uh, so there was some smoke bombs and I would always go dive into the crowd, like, which, you know, is if, if you're, if you're the new band and nobody knows you or likes you, that's, that's, you're treading in dangerous waters, uh, because you don't know what the reaction is, but I would go into the crowd and I would, I would, you know, either surf or get beat up. Um, and either way, they wanted respect. So anyway, the show was crazy. I took a, a bass and I smashed it and threw it into the crowd and just doing like all these crazy things. There was, I don't think there was any nudity at this one yet, which leads me to the next part. So we do our set. And then afterwards, like, you know, I go into the crowd and they're like, yeah, man, it was great. So much energy and blah, blah, well, you know, and we sold merch. It was great. So you turn you know, the crowd from like, we don't know you to like, hey, I appreciate what you did. Great job. So it's like, that's that reward. So we go back and now we're in our dressing room. And of course, we're getting like food orders and all this stuff. And we're getting down and uh, Clutch is about to go on. So Clutch is playing EU. They got, you know, that's their, their background music. The stage is dark and I'm standing off on the side of the stage. And we're waiting for Clutch to go on. And my bass player is like, looks at me and goes, he says those three magic words, I dare you. And I said, what? He goes, take your clothes off and go walk on stage naked. And I'm like, you don't think I will? He goes, no way. So of course, I I take off my clothes and I go stand on stage naked. Now with that, I did not know this, but all the the parents of the guys in Clutch were there. (laughs) And the 
the light people, they see somebody walking on stage and they think it's the band coming out. Mm. So I'm standing by the microphone and all of a sudden they put the spotlight on and mm. there's this naked dude. And all of a sudden you hear backstage, it's the singer from Murder One. Get him, get him, get him. So we had, we had rolled in. They came and they took our equipment off. They unload, you know, we had never experienced that before. We were still in that state. They unloaded our equipment, you know, set up all our stuff. They did the sound check for us, gave us a dressing room. When after this happened, I'm outside in the pouring rain with my clothes in my hands. They just threw them out. I had it, and next thing I know, the door opens and there goes a drum. <laughs> the door opens and there goes wow. the bass, and they're just throwing. And I'm like, I'm gathering the stuff out. The drummer comes running around to get our van, and he's he's just he's not talking to me. He's just got this look on his face. He's like, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And my bass player comes out and he's laughing his ass off. He goes, That was great. That was great. And then as we roll around, he's like, Wait, I got to go back in and get the merch. Um, cause you know, we had shirts and CDs and everything. And then he, so he goes and gets the merch and then he goes, I got to go back in cause we got to get paid. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They're not going to pay us. And he went back in and they were yelling. And he goes like, you're that you, you had unauthorized pyrotechnics. We could arrest you. And there was this whole thing. So with that, we wound up getting our, we wound up getting our money, which was incredible. We got paid. We got our merch money. We got our merch back. Now the, 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 the best part about this story is the ripple effects of this through the entire music industry. Clutch now is going on tour. And when you go on tour, you go to local radio stations. They sit down for an interview in like Cleveland. And they're like, hey, you know, welcome back. You know, this is, you know, Clutch. They're here to promote their new album on Atlantic Records. So tell us what happened at the 930 Club with Cake Boy. <laughs> and they had to deal with this for like almost a year of them going across country. And, and you know, because it's a small network. You know, all the radio DJs talk to each other. Uh, whenever there's press, you know, like, so apparently there had been a buzz and these guys, so by the time they got back to the East Coast, I was told, stay away from Neil, stay away from, from, you know, the, the, the drummer and the singer. And the, so this was like now six months of me, like, you know, going to shows and going to talk to them and like, uh, and then finally we had like a, a reconciliation, oh. but, but it was like a, a, like a tense moment of reconciliation, mm. like where they hold your hand and they, they're not letting go because they want to really talk to you and looking mm. and I was like, oh. So yeah, it was a, just a very funny story and, and knowing that they had to deal with that story. <laughs> and another funny story about that is, I, so, so when I go to get married, you know, I told my wife I was in a band and she's like, oh please. I said, no, I said, we were kind of like a big deal. And she's like, oh please, whatever. Um, she goes, what was the name of the band? I was like, Murder One. I said, you know, my nickname was Cake Boy and blah, blah. So she was a clerk in the North Public School System and she said one day, um, she's in her office and the copier guy comes in to, to repair something. So now my, my real name had been like a super secret. like. It was one of the most often asked questions when I would go on interviews. What's your real name? I said, you don't need to know my real name. You know, just it's Cake Boy. So that was like this coveted secret. Like everybody's always trying to find out. And I was telling my wife that she goes, oh, please, you make it sound like you're Prince or something. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you. Um, so, she, so one day she, she comes home. She goes, oh, I got a story to tell you. She goes, you know, co the copy repair guy came in and he had like bracelets, you know, these rock looking bracelets on his, you know, she was, a, she was Puerto Rican and she knew like, you know, Spanish music. She didn't know rock music. She's like, and he had, you know, these bracelets on. So I knew he was into rock music. So I asked him, you know, like, what do you listen to? And he's like, oh, I listen to rock. And she, he was like, what, she's, what station? He goes, WSOU. She goes, oh, did you ever hear Murder One? He goes, yeah, it's like my favorite band. And she goes, yeah, like, what song? He's like, J.Crew Girl. It's like the best song. You know, it's like, it's awesome. My favorite song. She goes, oh, really? And to, to my wife's credit, she had already hidden her nameplate, which I thought was pretty nice of her. Mm. And she said, 
oh yeah, well, I'm married to the singer. He goes, you're married to Cake Boy? What's his real name? What's his real name? Mm. And I said, see, I told you, like this was like a big deal. And for the entirety of my career, I kept that secret. And then when I finally did, one of my students graduated high school and she went to go get a job at uh, the radio station at SOU. And uh, I wanted to help her out. I helped her get her nickname. I was really good at giving nicknames to the DJs at SOU that stuck. So I helped her, helped her get her nickname. And then I gave her an interview. I gave her like the exclusive, like the complete story of Cake Boy and Murder One, my real name, why, you know, what happened with the band and the quitting. And that's every once in a while, like I still get a student who does some snooping yeah, and yeah. finds that story. And they're like, oh, you were in a band. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know. But yeah, so that was that was when I officially, you know, revealed the um, I was Cake Boy all these years. And it was like a pretty big deal. Do, do you remember how I found out about it? No. Yeah, so I was getting a, a, a tattoo over down at Jinx Proof. Oh, Eddie Acapinti. Whatever. We, yeah, I was just talking to Ox, and for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe we we're talking about teachers that I know or some shit, you know. Oh, Belleville. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because he's I, from Belleville. And he's I mentioned you, and he told me about the nickname and the band and everything. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding. I think I, like, I, think I went, went home and like messaged you on Facebook or some shit. Like, Pro- you gotta tell me about Kate Boy. Probably, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I know, I, I know that you knew. I just didn't remember the, yeah. you know, that you were telling. Yeah, and like that became like a, like a, like a, a story. The other story with that was like I was never really like a, a groupy thing. I never did like the whole group. And I was never seen in public. So there was always this mystique like, is he gay? Is he straight? Is he bi? Because I was never with, with, with women. I never was, you know, because this was like, you know, I'm here to do a job. I'm not here to pick up chicks. And it just wasn't my thing. And you're married. No, no. This was be- all oh, before okay, that. Okay, okay, all- okay, all right. I quit the band uh, just, just before I got married. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, because I'm not into that either. So w- there was one girl that I did meet while I was, you know, doing a, a performance and we hit it off and we dated a little bit. So when I told her, her name's Allison, I said, Allison, I said, you know, we're going, we were going, I took her to a show. I said, I'm just letting you know now, like people are going to ask you questions. Like, and she's like, what do you mean? I said, cause I've never been seen in public with, with, a, with a girl. I said, they're going to come, they're going to ask you questions. She's like, oh, stop it. Sure enough, we get to, it was a, it was a, WSC was doing these barge shows and, you know, like five bands, you go out of one of the, the, uh, the, the New York City, the, those like a booze cruise thing. Yeah, like that. Um, five bands. You go around the Rat Statue of Liberty. You perform, and so I did that. And I show up, and you know, I see the DJs from SOU, and I'm like, "Hey, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going?" And the one, you know, Jen Kaiser grabs the girl, and she goes, "You're with Cake Boy," and she's like, "Yeah." She goes, "Well, what's his real name?" And and she's like, "I can't tell you." And she was like, "Oh my God, you're with Cake Boy!" Like this was like a like it was it was hysterical. It was like, I, I didn't realize how big Cake Boy was. I I, I didn't realize how, how much of a, I didn't, a, a celebrity you were. Yeah, I didn't realize it either, but like people that, that from that time period say that, you know, that I was probably one of the best frontmen in the Northeast in like there's like the top three frontmen and like the other bands that were like it was like El Nino and a couple other big bands and like, you know, apparently I was really good at what I did. And it, it's just funny too because I, uh, you know, I, I always, again, I wasn't a drinker and never did drugs. And, you know, I, I, I felt like it was still me. Uh, there was a band. It was an up-and-coming young band. And they were called, they were, their name was Reveille. And they were, you know, in high school. And they were on tour. And we would always intersect and play some shows. We did a great show with them out in uh, um, uh, Pennsylvania. And we did some shows. Uh, we did a, a show up at uh, um, uh, the place where people go skiing in New Jersey. Uh, Hunter Mountain and uh, they're like you know they're backstage and you know everybody's talking to them and and so I'm hanging out with them talking and I'm asking them how they're doing in school and they're like you know something like we play with you a lot you're the only one who ever asks us like what's going on with school (laughs) yeah and I'm like well I said I'm a teacher 
And I'm like, oh my God, you should come on tour with us. You could be our tutor. And I'm like, no, 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 that, that's not a bad idea. But, you know, so it's like for me, it was like I was teaching and I was still like, oh, these are kids. They're, they're in high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. I need to talk to them about school stuff. Mm. So it was just it was just a really great experience. It was just really fun. I made a lot of great friends. But it's funny because I've, I've got teacher guy. I've got music guy. I've got, you know, like what I've got, you know, a lot mm. of little stories to my life that have been yeah. really fun. And we didn't even talk about the marriage. Oh, yeah. Well, so my first year of teaching so the first year of, of teaching was really significant for me because it was my first it was the first year of what turned out to be a career i first started performing in the band when i was doing my student teaching we were you know practicing but you know it really took off but it's also how i met my my, my wife it was like uh, at the big convocation you know the, you know the superintendent would have all the people and i saw this 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 chick and i snuck a note in her pocketbook and, uh, you know, with my phone number and like a whole little like, hey, you know, who, uh, looks like the... Bolt. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was pure chicken shit. I should have gone up to her and talked to her. I'm like, I'm just... Oh. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> no. that's, see, that's where uh, the other end of the spectrum I'm on. <laughs> I, <guess, laughs> like, I get like, it. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because my friends are always like, dude, like you stand up in front of us, uh, like 500 people. And you, you sing and you run around like a lunatic, but you're shy when it comes to talking to chicks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's just, yeah. yeah. So a couple days later, she calls me and she's like, did you put something in my, in my pocketbook? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, just so you know, you know, that's against the law. And, you know, and I, I already had my friend who's a cop check your number. I know where you live. And, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not panicking. She goes, I'm only kidding. She goes, it was cute. She goes, you want to go out? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so we went out and we, and we dated for a little bit. And uh, her big thing was uh, she, she called me a liar. And one of the things is for me, like, aside from, like, earlier on in my life, but by that time in my life, I had, there was no lies. Like, I don't lie about anything. So, so she kept calling me, like, a liar. Because she'd be like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going over to my grandmother's. I'm hanging out. Next day, what are you doing? I'm going over to my grandmother's and I'm going to hang out. So she was saying, you're not, you have a girlfriend. And I'm like, I don't have a girlfriend. I'm like, I, I'm going to my grandmother's house. Because I was really close to my grandparents. I didn't like hanging out at my parents' house. I would go hang out at my grandparents' house. And even when I moved out, I would still go to my grandparents' house. So I was just getting tired of being called a liar. Because I think if you think I'm a liar, then there's no point of us having a relationship. Because there's, you've already decided that there's no trust. So I stopped dating her. And then every once in a while, I'd bump into her and date her and bump into her and date her. And then one time I bumped into her and dated her and it stuck and we wound up getting married. And the first thing I did was bring her over to my grandma's house. I said, Grandma, where am I every day? And she goes, here. I said, see, you blew it like five years ago. <laughs> I said, because I was always here. And, you know, I guess considering the life I had led up to that time, I thought maybe this was, you know, something that I would, I would, I would, it was, I guess there was just a little hint of the, you know, who you, who you are when you grow up in there. Cause it's like, you know, okay, you're going to get a house, you're going to build a fence, you're going to get a yard and a pool and you're going to, you know, I'm going to get up on Saturdays and mow the lawn and yeah, like, okay, I'm ready for this. And the first two years, it was great. Um, but then things just started going wacky. And I think she still had a lot of trust issues. And, you know, we were going, you know, we were still going to Disney. And that those were good times. Uh, but the last two years of the marriage, things were just, there was tension. There was, you know, she, look, I think she liked to fight. And at that point, too, again, in terms of my Buddhist spirituality, there was no, I, I don't fight. I you know, want to talk, we'll talk. I'm not here to fight. But she wanted to fight. Um, and I joke around with it, like with my students, I'm like, you know, you, I'm married a Puerto Rican, so I know what, you, you know, I know that you guys just want to fight and they're like, oh, oh my God, they think it's so funny. And I'm like, you know, I'm generalizing, which is not right, but they're like, they're, they're, they're agreeing with me. I'm like, you know, you could whip, you know, take the chancleta and hit me in the head with it and they're like, ah, which is, you know, the shoe. 
and things got really tense and you just get to the point like you know i'm not gonna fight you know i'm not i'm not interested in fighting and i'm not you know you, you, you i think i went into this 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 level of appeasement kind of a thing yeah, and then i started i started to and then i then you realize that that and i try and explain this to people too it's like if, if you change so you meet somebody and you fall in love with them who they are with who you know with who they are and then and then over the course of the relationship you guys keep trying to change eventually you're you're not the person that i fell in love with i'm not the person that you fell in love with so we've lost that already you know there had to be this conversation and i don't think i was at that point in my life and i don't think i had learned any of that type of stuff from my parents relationship so i went into this not knowing you know how to communicate properly sure. i always thought i was a good i'm a great talker i could talk for hours and hours but that's not communication yeah and i learned that after that marriage i learned that there's a level of communication there's a point when you stop things and there's a point where you you have to have you'll open up that communication we've gotten to a point where we have to have you know all the talking needed to happen before all the fighting and, mm -hmm. and that wasn't happening because we were just sweeping under the rug and go to disney yeah and that's what we were doing we would go to disney we were going to disney twice a year at that point you know, and taking her nieces. Just like that. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, it, now it all comes full circle. And I'm like, no, I'm now I learn. And the other thing, too, was like, you know, she's like, you know, she kept challenging me to try and catch me in lies because I keep saying I don't lie and I'm a Buddhist and I'm, I'm a vegetarian. And, you know, and she took that as a challenge. And I'm like, no, like, this isn't a game. Like, you know, I, we're not here to challenge each other. Like, you know, try and catch me in a lie. Sure. It's not going to happen. But that's. It's like I feel. I felt like uh, you know, um, uh, 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 Inspector Clouseau and and Cato jumping in. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Pink Panther. A little bit. But you yeah. know, he gave. He, you know, his assistant Cato was under strict orders to always attack him when he came home, so that he would always be on his toes. Oh right, right. <laughs> and that's what I felt like every time I came home. I had to make sure I had all my facts straight in my head so that I. Oh, know, that's terrible. Oh yeah, it was a really horrible way to live. And of course, you know, we things went south and it got ugly and. But again, you know, for me, it was an amical divorce in the sense that I'm not going to, you know, anytime she started a sentence off with, can I take, I was like, listen, you don't need to ask if there's something in the house you want, take it. I don't want the possessions. I don't, I, I, no, I don't need anything. It got ugly a couple of times, not because of me, but I think just because of, of, of what it was in general. Mm. Um, but I walked away from it feeling completely, I didn't need a house. I didn't need furniture. Mm. I didn't need, you know, it was a six year experience. I wish it, I wish I had learned um, my lesson in that marriage sooner and and either fixed it or walked sooner mm -hmm. um but i love who i am now I, in and, terms of my and life. you two are cool now yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean for, I, again you know people when i tell people the stories and whatnot they're like oh why are you still friends with them my sister is always mad but i i just that's just the human being that i am I'm, i don't i don't bear grudges i don't mm -hmm. i don't harbor hate and mm -hmm. anger and uh you know so long as we treat each other with respect and listen when i got into the accident she was one of the first people to show up in the mm. hospital yeah you know so it, it worked it works out so so let's talk then about that um serene way of life i i got not like practicing but in i i really got curious about buddhism in in college and read up on it and you know and, and it was just really attractive to me for a lot of reasons mm -hmm. um and you know some of that is is you know kind of incorporated into into tattoos. one of my tattoos um you know it, it's more for me like a marker of a point in my life exactly than it is like something that i can say that i like am living and walking the walk right now right how did you get into buddhism so it was maybe 1989 
uh, I was at a Halloween costume party at Rutgers, and I saw a whole bunch of uh, drunk frat guys beat up um, this kid. He was all by himself, and they were just being obnoxious frat boys. And uh, he was he was dressed as a priest, and they beat him up. Um, I went to go help, and when I was, as I'm pulling bodies off of him, when I cleared off enough of them, he swung and he hit me. Mm. Um, and I went to go talk to him. He was actually working in the bookstore, and I went to go talk to him. And uh, so after that, I was kind of shaken. And that was uh, that was the last time I drank for like at least a, probably a decade, maybe more. Mm. And um, and so I also went back to church. I st I went back to church a couple times. Um, there was a really cool uh, brother who eventually became a priest at the church that I that I went to when I was a kid. And I went back to talk to him. Um, but I was still questing. I knew that it wasn't Catholicism. So I had started doing reading. And we all, I think we've all gone through that phase. I'm not happy being, you know, it's not Catholicism for me. But so I just started doing research and reading on a ton of different religions. And mm -hmm. I studied and read everything. Read the Bible a couple times, Quran. I read a little bit of everything. Um, and then at the same time, I was also starting to get into martial arts. So, okay. so for me, it was like, all right, uh, you know, I started studying uh, karate, and that was like a real aggressive martial art, and and I'm, I'm st I still have this this vision of this 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 brutal drunk rage fighting beat up thing, and it really kind of bothered me. So I didn't want to get into anything that was aggressive. So I started studying tai chi and uh, some of the you know Chinese kung fu, and I said, all right, let me let me you know I I, I had started living a certain way. Because, you know, all the major religions of these capital R ones, I, I didn't, none of them connected. And so I started living a certain way. And then when I started getting into the martial arts, I started reading up more on Buddhism. And then I was like, oh, this is the way I'm kind of living. Mm. So, so then it, it all started to click. I was like, okay, so, and I didn't have much further to go because I had, I had gotten tired of, of, you know, the traditional family lying that took place in, in my household. So I was like, I'm not going to do any of that anymore. And, uh, you know, li you know, living a life of peace because I, I saw what drunken violence could do, being careful and, you know, about what I was putting in my body. And I was like, just all of that stuff. And so it, it became Buddhism. So I, then I started reading up on Buddhism and I started going to uh, the Tibetan Buddhist Learning Center up in Washington Township and uh, just kind of really connecting with that. And then, yeah, then my tattoos became... Buddhism. I had a black flag tattoo that became a cover-up, and this is the cover-up to the tiny little, you know, the four arrows representing the four noble truths of Buddhism. And, oh, and I always wonder what that was. Yeah, it's negative space. Four arrows represents the four noble truths of Buddhism and the flow of chi. Um, my calves are the footprints of Buddha, and my chest is uh, the imperishable sound of the universe, the Om, and a mirror image of it. And uh, then this is just represents myself and my three, my two brothers. Oh, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, and. I needed it because 1990, when I graduated college and I went off to law school, when I came back, I was lost and I still had a lot of rage in me. Mm. Um, there was there was a couple of times when I lost my temper. I was very frustrated. I was like working and I had started like, uh, you know, I, I, that's when I started working in the city and I had like this mini consulting com company that I started. Um, Damn, you've done a lot. I, I, dude, I, the list is crazy. I was a short order cook and assistant chef. I was a speech writer for some campaigns, managing, uh, just did anything I could, I could do, anything. So there was this anger, this seething, like frustration. And for me, Buddhism just killed all that. Um, when I see people that get angry and I just, you know, should say, you know, one of the simplest things that I learned is, is what, instead of getting mad, this is a, is, this is a lesson. What is the lesson? 
you know, I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I got road rage. I'm in traffic. Well, what is this trying to teach you? What is this moment trying to teach you? So for me, like, the, you know, one of those components of Buddhism really helped me because I just found myself angry at a lot of stuff. You know, I was a law school dropout. I was a pre-med dropout. My girlfriend at the time, she was working. I barely saw her because she had moved because she thought I was going to be in law school. Uh, my friends all had careers and here I was just a bum. What do I do? So there's just a lot of anger and a lot of, and you know, then, you know, home, you know, you just want to make sure that, you know, the guy who's always working, you know, and my brother was not working and he could do whatever he wants. And I just, it was just tension and stress and I just needed, so, and this tr was transformative for me. Mm. And after that, it was just like, wow, great. You know, the meditation. Um, I was going to ask, so what, what are some elements of your practice? Constant meditation, lo always looking for a moment to meditate visiting the temple as often as I can just to kind of um, spin some wheels and uh, reflect with other people. I think teaching is part of it too, you know, sharing lessons. So for me, education is, is, is part of what I'm doing. I mean, I, I, I never teach my kids about Buddhism, uh, but, but my, I'm, I'm a Buddhist teacher, you know. So for me, it's, a, it's about teaching my kids to appreciate life and, and understand things. Um, I think the, the core of it is, is meditation for me. And I do a lot of reading. You know, I, I still read as much as I can about Buddhism and, and reading a lot of the, the, the Vedas and, you know, the original texts. And I, I, there's, you get into the whole historic of like, you know, well, where did it come from? And, and which one do you follow? And sure, yeah. I just go to the source, man. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, Buddha, he was in India. I don't need to know about, you know, all the other stuff. It's all good stuff. You know, like, sure. you know, like I don't worship the Dalai Lama, but I love, I love when he writes something and it's, and it resonates. Yeah. You know, then again, you know, if, you know, you wrote something and it resonated, I would love that too. Right. Um, and, you know, for me too, uh, my kids get a big kick out of it because I, I don't kill bugs. I don't yeah, kill, yeah. I won't kill anything, you know, so in, in Newark when we have those big giant cockroaches, you know, I pick them up and I take them out. Uh, and that's always a big kick for the kids, but, you know, but it also, you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. like, why do we have to kill it? Yeah. You know, it's being a cockroach. It's being the yeah. best cockroach it can be. It's doing cockroach things and we don't need to kill it. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I feel like I, 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 that's a big part of who I am in terms of how I, how I operate. Um, bringing that to the union was pretty interesting too, like to bring this level of, you know, uh, uh, sense of calm and, and inquiry and so, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Those weren't questions that, that were normally asked in mm. union meetings and in meetings with the president and how we interact and, and how, how we as a union can also, you know, have good values. You know, you know, you look at the union as, as, as a thug sometimes, you know, people's perception. So how do you, how do you alter that? And, you know, like I said, taking money out of corrupt banks and putting them in local banks and, and uh, city-owned banks and, you know, look for value-driven things that you can kind of you know, target and do things with. Uh, not lying for me is, is probably the big one. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of lying in the family growing up, and, and that was always pretty important. So living a life where I, I know that I'm 100% of the time honest as, you know, as best as you can. We're, we're imperfect beings, but, you know, when I'm at my mother's house, she says, oh, pick up the phone. That's your aunt. Tell her I'm in the bathroom. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's a lie, and I'm not going to do that. Like that level too, you know. Mm. So it's pretty interesting. Even even little shit like that. Wow. I try not to. You're a better man than me. Listen, I, 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 there's a lot of clutter in our brains. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I maintaining lies and trying to manage them makes it so much more cluttered. Yeah. You know, I mean, white lies are usually lies that you could you could drop and walk away from. They don't ever come back to haunt you. It's the big ones that that bite you in the ass. But it's it's the in my mind, every lie is a death. You know, it's the death of a thousand cuts in terms of my yeah. my, my, my karma. 
and I'm not going to take that chance. You know, right so I just I just keep everything clean, keep everything honest, keep everything. And, you know, that doesn't mean like if I'm with somebody and they say, "Does this dress make me look fat?" I'm going to say, "Yeah, you know, you look really fat in that dress." Right. You know, I'm going to try and figure out a way to you know say something nice, yeah, but. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I just, in terms of lying, it's just mm. not in my vocabulary. Mm. Mm. And that's, that's helped too. Cause you know, in terms of like the union, like people, people that know me as an honest person, like that's always been like, that's how I mean it. Like if he says it, you know, he, he means it. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's an honest guy. Mm. And that's, that was important to me. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking as we're talking, it's really interesting. Like you have this, you know, foundation or undergirding of Buddhism you know, but like you're so high energy, you wouldn't you wouldn't picture this guy as a Buddhist, right? Yeah. Like you know, you 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 picture someone more more calm. I'm fucking Eeyore, <laughs> but my brain goes like a thousand I, times, right. like a thousand miles an hour, and I suck at meditating. Right, like, <laughs> I know, I know you are you're you're mentally constantly moving constantly. Um, people get a little frustrated because I'm like, I'm going to go to bed at like 12, 30, one o'clock, get up 5, 20, 5, 30 every day kind of guy. I maybe take like, I come home and take a 10 minute nap with my kid, my dog, <laughs> my dog, Sarah. And uh, that's, you know, other than that, I am nonstop. I should be a beanpole, but I'm not, you know, because fortunately there's cookies in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm nonstop. And for me, it's like, my first principal said, you know, Michael, um, I need you to slow down because I want you to last. And I said, I said, I could either be a candle and burn forever and be a tiny light, or I could be a flamethrower as a teacher and do absolutely as much as I can for as long as I can until I can't do it anymore. And then I'm done. Like I have no, cause because I had done so many things going up to, you know, becoming a teacher, I had no fear at that point of all right, you know, if I need to, what if go, this doesn't work out? Right, I'll go yeah. do something else. Right. It, and it wasn't until I hit like what year I was thinking, like, wow, I've been doing this, like, I'm doing this, like, this is my thing now. Um, but I did, I still, even to this day, I was like, well, you know what? If if tomorrow I'm not a teacher, it's okay. I can be something else. I can find something else to do. And because I don't have, you know, kids' debt or whatever, yeah. I could do that. So it's, you know, it's it's a little bit of a freedom thing as well. But you know, there's always a, there's always something that I could I could figure out a way to do because I had done so many damn I, I would, things. I must imagine you don't get bored much. No, but people also say you probably can't sit still, and that's incorrect. Like today, or yesterday, actually, I came home from negotiations and I sat on my couch in complete science for four hours. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't get bored because I find things to, like uh, one of my kids, you know, sends me an email like saying, you know, like, well, you know, maybe you should stop riding motorcycles because they're dangerous. And I only picked up riding a motorcycle like just a few years ago, 2015, right? I think yeah, it was. Yeah, or two, yeah. Like I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, you know, you know, get in my car and drive cross country. Yeah, you so do these like, like solo trips. Yeah. Well, everybody my age, all my friends and, and people in my peers are married yeah, yeah. and have kids. So for me, it's like I, and, and I also learned. You know, you know, and I guess maybe that's part of the, you know, the Buddhist is like, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm okay with me. So my mother's like, oh my God, you're, you love yourself. And I'm like, not in a narcissistic way, just, I do enjoy my own company. So I'll go to the movies by myself. And I started going to the city by myself and like walking around and hanging out and going to places. And like, then, you know, when somebody's like, oh, you know, a good place in the city, like, yeah, I go here. And they're like, when? I'm like, well, I go on my, by myself. Like, you go to the city by yourself. Yeah. It's okay to do things by yourself. Um, so, you know, there's, I never, yeah, I'm never bored because I just find something to do. Like right now I'm doing like a lot of board game kicks. Like I'm just, 
breaking out some old board games and buying some new ones. And who do you play with? Um, I have a couple former students who are who are big board game geeks, and now we're going to start getting together on a regular basis. Do you do like uh, like tabletop like Dungeons and Dragons stuff? Yeah, or, so, or like yeah, Game of Life. Like what are we talking? No, about? No, no. Uh, so okay. so I had done Dungeons and Dragons for like decades. I had the yeah. same same group of kids that we started playing like maybe freshman year of high school. We played all the way up through college and then some. Um, and now I play with one of my coworkers who, you know, he was my, a student teacher of mine. We became close. I'm the Buddha father of his kid. And uh, so we have a small game group. And so we do that once a month. But these are like, uh, um, it's, it's not like, you know, Connect Four or Life or Monopoly. These are like, you know, high-end, uh, cooperative, strategy-based. Mm. You know, the games are like $90. What's the one about... Um few people i know play something about Catan. oh yeah yeah you would actually like that oh yeah yeah i haven't played it but i've seen it played because it's really about developing a, a, a your nation and resources and things like that i know a lot of people play that and they and they play it like on a regular basis mm. i haven't played it. i gotta ask my, my my the guys that are coming over tomorrow if they ever played it mm. but if they if if we get together to play that then i i'd be learning it and then i'm going to be hosting a board game night with one of my coworkers down at the union who's a big board game i'm going to be hosting a board game night oh, down cool. at the union we've got parking it's secured it's got a lot that we have a gate and close we could order food and so just to kind of like get into like you know some board games and stuff like but but i'll see if i can get somebody to bring katana if they do i would like to learn it with you because like i hear it's like you know it's about natural resources and and uh, trading and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, like I said, I've heard people play that game like they're passionate about it. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so I, yeah, I'm always picking up something new. Yeah. I mean, I've picked, I, you know, I, I'm not convinced yet that I'm. I don't have musical talent. I just haven't found the musical talent that I have. So I've like pick up harmonicas and I dabble. Yeah, yeah. And I picked up like a like a Merlin, which is like a three string guitar, and I dabble. Um, I bought guitars, but I keep giving them away to students because yeah. I get frustrated because I can't figure out if I'm a lefty or a righty. Um, <laughs> you know, so what I, frustrates me about guitar, like the, I've picked it up a few times, and I just don't have the stick-to-itiveness, the discipline to like get good at it. Right. And like, plus I got kind of small hands, but like, you know, and to get those calluses from the strings and like, totally, like, I, I, I. I, I I'm yep. just like no. If I'm not good in five minutes, like I'm my, putting it down. My mother always. I couldn't said even that. handle the ukulele. I bought a ukulele <laughs> a couple of years ago, and I'm like, "This is gonna be it. I'm finally gonna learn how to play an instrument." It's like you know, because yep. uh, some some students of mine play uke, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, it's so easy, right?" Yeah. I'm sitting there like, "This is a C," and I'm like, "Fuck this." <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know I can't I don't even know what the strings are still I really don't I'm like and I'm my mother always said that about she's like if you have if you don't master it in the first five minutes you don't you're, you're just you're, you're it's like embarrassing to you and you won't do it and that's true it's like I I've I've tried what is that line from uh you know I, I say it sometimes now because I, I've what I've willed I've dared and what I've dared I've done which is like from Moby Dick um, and I remember that because I saw Robbie Benson in one on one in the movies and he was like a high school you know, phenom for basketball. And he had to learn Moby Dick to pass so that he can keep his scholarship. What I've what I've dared, what I've dared. And I, I, I'm more like that now, but for most of my life, it was just like that. Like skateboarding. Yeah, I'm going to be a skateboarder. Nope. You know, you know, try it for five minutes. Can't matter. I fell down a couple of times. That's it. I'm done. Um, guitar, whatever it is. Painting. Any, like I just, I'm convinced there's something creative in me and mm-hmm. it, I can't find it. Yeah, yeah. I don't I get, listen, I even tried color by numbers and it's just, I, I get too, it's not happening soon enough. I don't know what I'm drawing yet. I got yeah. enough, I'm done. So, yeah, yeah. You know what they say, those, uh, those adult coloring books? I, I have them. With the, like, some of them are, are, are they have like mandalas and, yeah. and, uh, yep. um, 
like you know design and they're supposed to like you know calm you down yeah so not that you need to be calm but, yeah but no no i i, I do them and i enjoy uh, them as well yeah. i enjoy them um one of the meditative practices that i picked up over the years which which is useful is is uh to build a house in your you know build your build your sanctuary in your in your in your in your mind hmm. um and for the for the for the people who struggle with focusing like you're you're focusing but now at least you're focusing on so what does you know what is the exterior of your house look oh. like where is it um what do you see when you walk in this first room until eventually you can get to a point where um then then I I got to a point where it's like okay I'm just focusing on building a brick wall so that each brick was the same and I'm building a brick wall and then eventually it's I'm I'm focusing on nothingness mm-hmm. um and it's not easy you know meditation really takes practice to get to a point where you can let everything go and you, there's nothing there i mean i got to some like couple weird points in my life where i was meditating and i could i could see myself meditating um which was really interesting and then i was doing a lot of weird stuff where like i was able and this, it sounds so free but i was able to regulate my body temperature hmm. and like i was proving it like i was showing people like okay watch you know and i turn up the heat and like my body be sweating and hot and then I could drop the temperature down. And, you know, that was at, the, I think at the pinnacle when I just was really focusing more on, on that more than anything else. Cause I had studied like about these monks who, you know, uh, they would spend one night on the, in the Himalayas and all they would do was, you know, bring their robes and a, and a, and a mat mm. and like what they did and how they imagined it. And they'd explain that they imagined a volcano in the center of their being and the heat. And I started doing that and it, it really works to the point now, like, you know, where I don't know, you know, sometimes I post videos or pictures of me shoveling snow in the middle of winter without shoes, socks, shorts. You are and, that guy. I'm, I'm that, that You asshole. are shorts and barefoot in the snow. <laughs> yeah. Walking like, my neighbors are like, oh, it's, it's, it's definitely winter. Mike's outside in his shorts, barefoot in the snow. Yeah. And it doesn't really bother me. It really doesn't. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Until I, you know, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things. Right. It's 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 hung. I, there's a few odd things that I was able to do, and that's one of the ones that hangs on, where I can kind of like, you know, not not feel the the, the cold or the heat mm. or the pain, which was has been helpful lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, do you do stuff with mantras or no? Uh, I stick with the basics. So I take refuge in the Dharma, take refuge in the Buddha, take refuge in the Sangha, and mm. Omani Padme Home, and uh, you know, I'll do that. Uh, I, I did that when I was in the hospital, like a couple weeks, you know, the, the first couple of days, like that really got me through it. Cause mm-hmm. I was just, it was, I was in so much pain and to not want to take any painkillers to just be able to focus on something and, and just kind of talk my way through the pain, just focusing on, on the mantras, you know, mm-hmm. that's the only two that I really focus on. I mean, there, there's a lot more, but, sure. but yeah, yeah. you know, I just, the, those are the ones that I, I just feel like it's, you know, an FDR approach. This tool works. I'm going to keep using it till it doesn't work. Until, <laughs> you know, I'm just, that's it. That's all I'm focusing on. And, right, right. and it, 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 it's been helpful. Sure. It really has. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, the accident. What's the lesson there? <sighs> I don't, uh, you know, I, I ride safe. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a speed bike. Mm-hmm. I don't do any of those wheelie things. I don't drive, you know, ride my bike crazy. Mm-hmm. My head's always on a swivel. This was just one of those odd circumstances where the guy saw a parking spot he wanted and tried to do like a really fast U-turn to cut off the traffic that he was cutting off to get to. I'll tell you the, what I, what I learned from it was a, a sense of affirmation because, and in my heart, I'm a punk rock. 
and and for me that's like you know you tell me no i say yes you say go left i'm going right um, which has helped me in you know my activism which has helped me as being you know a leader in my school you know i, I just I, I and i guess that probably goes back to my father because i reject a lot of authority not in a non-violent way so for me it was can i manage this pain and i learned that i could mm. uh, day one when this woman came in and said okay i'm your physical therapist and i'm like there's no physical therapy happening I can't move like I'm I can't move and she's like well we're gonna get you up and you know this she goes and there was screaming there was like yeah. distinct screaming and crying and I laid there in my bed and there was this immediate sense of seething rage sure so I you know I managed to get my my uh, my, my prayer beads off and I just started going through it um, but I said to myself this is not gonna happen again so that was I got hit on Monday Tuesday um, I stopped taking the painkillers. And then Wednesday when she came back, she's like, I mean, Brian, to get my feet off the, the, the bed, I was screaming in pain. Mm. So then she makes me sit up and it was just like, and then stand up. And I was only able to move like three inches to the left and then sit down. And then I, it, I was crying, you know, I was in pain. When she came back the next day, she's like, I'm sorry, I know. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I got up and I walked out. I got up and I walked out and I said, that's it. I, I ate whatever pain was in there. And I, my, my, my brother and my friend were there and they're like, this shouldn't, shouldn't have happened. You know, like not you know, a day and a half after that. I'm yeah, just yeah. like, I'm not going to go through this and I'm not going to deal with this. So I, I got up and I walked out, um, just told her to hold my robes closed because I didn't want to scare anybody down the hall. And I turned around and came back and I said, how am I doing? She says, just, she goes, I don't know. You should have been in ICU, you know, when I, you know, when this happened, 51 years old, nine broken ribs and a semi-collapsed lung. Uh, I, so yeah, you're doing great. And then the next day it was like, I'm gone. I, I was got this, I got, you know, turned out on thir uh, Thursday, dismissed. Wow. Checked out on Thursday. Damn. Yeah. So how, how are things going with that now, the recovery and stuff? Um, last week was the first time I was able to lay in the bed. Which which was a big accomplishment. You've been for sleeping, me. sitting up. Sitting up. Uh, two, last Tuesday, I got my dog back, and then that night I slept in the bed, which was mm. kind of nice. I feel like the dog had something to do. With it. She, might, she had been at my parents yeah. for for three weeks. Much better. Beyond, you know, I'm, I'm ahead of schedule. They said six to eight weeks. It's only I'm in. I'm Monday will be what day is today? Is that, Monday will, Monday will be the the end of my fourth week. So I'm way ahead of schedule. I probably should should still be laid up a little bit, mm. but I mean. Those are the broken ribs that I'm whacking right now. That's yeah. not a problem. There's still some internal pain, and I'm still swollen here. Walking is, you know, exhausting. And if I put in a full, like, 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 like this interview, like when I leave tonight, I'll You'll probably, be tired. yeah, because I'm doing, which is good though. I need to, you know, that's why I also didn't want to put it off. Like I figured, you know, you know, talking and getting the lungs moving, pumping, and mm -hmm. stuff like that is very helpful. And so no, uh, no PT, no. It really is. I mean, years ago, I think they used to wrap your ribs and, you know, now it's just, you know, they're going to heal. I went back for follow-up x-rays. Uh, I'm walking, you know, I'm doing like, I walk my dog twice a day and then I do another walk on my own, you know, to try and see how far I can go. I was with it. I was using a cane. I'm not using the cane anymore. Uh, unfortunately, I probably won't be back to school until next year. You know, there's one thing about being able to walk around. It's another thing about being able to you know, carry a backpack, you know, go to class. Oh, know, de yeah. Deal with kids. I didn't think about it. Yeah. No, I just figured you, oh, oh, so if you're walking around, then you must be at school. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm, they put me out until the, the end of June. I feel like I probably, knowing me, I feel like I probably could go back in if I really wanted to. But I, it's a school. There's kids running around the halls. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, 
I would need to have a 504 put me on the first floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I have my own set of Chromebooks, getting the Chromebooks down there. It's just, it's just, it's just not conducive. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it would, I would probably be a setback physically too, because it's like getting up every day now and doing that kind of motion. It's, it's, it, there's still some damage there. I'm not, yeah, yeah, as much as I'd like to pretend that, you know, I'm an Iron Man and there's still some damage. I'm, I'm dealing with it. This year, because of the, all the chaos with the, collapsed stairs that closed off classrooms yada 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 you know it scattered people you know and we're doing a lot of a lot more stairs and walking than right. than we would normally do and more of us are going between two buildings than oh, we used right. to right you know and and it, it's it's been hell on my ankle you know yeah my, i mean my well, doctor wanted me to get the arthroscopic um well, have you put in for a while ago four though and just said you know limit my movement and get you know i i didn't feel like doing that because it was such a chaotic year I didn't want to like make a request that like made it, it right. even that much more difficult for people. I get it. You know it. what I mean? I mean? Yeah. And I didn't want to limit myself to the to one building or the other, and that you know because the they might have been forced to take because like the small learning community that I'm in is kind of all in right. in, in in this one area, and yeah. they they were able to do that for us. For me to like take them and then like yank <laughs> yank right. yank my section of them right. To be far it. away from everybody else. I get it. So I just, you know, been biting the bullet and elevating ice and popping, you know, a leave and, and that sort of thing. But it, yeah, it, t- it takes its toll. So I could imagine with this part of the body, like, yeah. I, I, there's no way. Yeah. I, I Just this week, I, I, I can cough. Mm. I've st- still been deathly afraid of the sneeze. Mm. So every time I feel one coming, I'm like, I'm trying to like. <laughs> you know how to do that? You press right here. Oh, really? And it'll go away? Yeah, a lot of times it does, yeah. Oh, that's useful. That is useful. <laughs> I don't know. I think I learned that from mental floss. The, I'm going to have to. I'm, that might be the most useful thing I ever learned. Because <laughs> right now, that's like still the scariest thing for me. It's like, yeah. what will happen if I sneeze? Yeah. Because it, it hurts. Right. It hurts badly. All right. So, you know, not to take a needle scratching on the record and just took a you know, a, a weird left turn here. But, you know, I, I just want to wrap it up and, you know... What do you feel like is sort of be corny? Like, what would be the title of the movie of your life or something like that? But you've had all of these experiences. What's the what's the moral of your story? <sighs> That's a really good question. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's been an adventure. I've not said no to a lot of things. Um, I've tried a lot of things. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a song title that would 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 make sense. Hmm. Uh, hmm. That's the most powerful question I've ever been asked, Brian. <laughs> you flatter me. I don't know. You know what? I feel like half my story isn't written yet. Right? That's a good attitude to have. Because uh, I know I'm going to retire in a couple of years, buy an RV, and then I'm really going to. So my goal ultimately is is to get down to Patagonia in Chile. Um, if I would do that by, by motorcycle, that was my first plan, but now it might be RV with a motorcycle. Um, then when I get down there, I could do some riding and check it out. I just want to go down and see what, uh, you know, Patagonia is such a great company and Yvonne Schoenard has been somebody that I've been following. Um, check him out. I mean, he's, he's really, he's, he knows how to run a company that, that has a, 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 a good human, um, running it and, and a company with spirit. So I know what I want to do. So I feel like I, I've got so much more to do. Yeah. Um, shoot. Life. Well, I don't know. You know, dot, dot, dot. 
<laughs> that might be it. That might be it. To be continued. Yeah. Uh, be continued. So tell tell me about your outro music. Uh, it was Clutch and uh, what was the name of the song? I forget. Uh, Psychic Warfare. Is that the one? Uh, oh, Mob Goes Wild. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, awesome political song. Uh, Condoleezza Rice is nice, but I prefer Aroni. That man on the TV who speaks to the dead, you know that man's a phony. It's They wrote that uh, at the at the height of Bush's uh, fake war in, mm. in Iraq, and it's 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 a really fun song. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Clutch just has this this southern hard southern hardcore groove. Uh, Neil Fallon, the the singer from Clutch, uh, was hanging out with uh, the singer uh, Phil Anselmo from Pantera, who I don't listen to anymore because he just decided to go white power at some mm. point. And Phil Anselmo typically is, is the legend of like the hardest voice in music. Mm. But he turned to Neil and said, "I thought I had a." I thought I had a hard voice, but mm. you, he's, you've got it. But they can do it all. They can play. He can sing. They've got, they can do groove. When I heard the beginning of the song, I was surprised. No, I shouldn't say surprised, but like, I didn't, I didn't expect the guitar solo in the middle to sound like it did. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah it's, it, there's a lot of really good, I mean, some of their early stuff, Transnational Speedway League, is like hardcore. Yeah. You know, um, come on, motherfucker. You know, like, like there's like hardcore songs. But then they, they, they got better at what it was that they were doing, and mm. they're just a phenomenal band. There's only, there's only like maybe three bands that I would ever pay to see play. Mm. Um, fortunately, I don't have to most of the time, but Fu Manchu, Clutch, um, and the other ones that I got very lucky to see was, you know, I saw The Damned, I saw Iggy, uh, I saw them live. Mm. Um, probably ABBA. I would probably still pay to see ABBA. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah, I love ABBA. Here you go again. Like, <laughs> guy goes to fucking Disney and he, <laughs> he listens to ABBA. Like, what the fuck? I will go Black Flag ABBA without, without even flinching. Black uh, Flag and ABBA without it. And then and that's a great way to end. You got, yeah. You got ABBA. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This is really great. Just, first of all, just to see you. It's been yeah. a while. Yeah, you know? I appreciate and, that. And, too. I, and I'm glad you're. And I love what you're doing with the podcast. Around, when yeah, when yeah. you sent me the invite, I was I was flabbergasted. I was like, uh, that, like, you know, I'm. I'm 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 on your list and I yeah, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Especially you know, I see I listen to the other podcasts and I'm like these you know you've done some really cool. Oh, you listen? You know, of course, I, I listen to your podcast. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I don't expect anybody's listening. I just, I think you, you, <laughs> I'm yeah. just doing it for fun. Yeah. No, and, and listen, I think it's great. I love yeah. it. You know, and it's it's a thing now. It really is. Brian talks to humans. Yes. All right. Exclamation point. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, that was part two of my interview with Ivino. I hope you liked that one as much as you liked part one. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I got to learn a little bit more about a friend of mine. Go to BrianTalksToHumans.net for more information. If you click on contact, it'll bring you my email and my social media, and a button to connect you to Patreon where you can donate to the cause. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Let's keep this people's podcast going. And here's one more from the doctor. Such a night, such a night. Got to steal away. The time seemed right.
could believe my ears My heart just give a little beat You told me we could slip away Down the dark end of the street Baby, you came here with my best friend Jim Here I am to trying to Thank you.